0: Make sure you follow us on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And with that, let's continue with your show.
1: User experience is one of the most significant part of any product or service. Developing a new interface compatible with the users making it visually ergonomic Essentially works with setting higher standards amongst the designers. In the era where a lot of focus is shifting to technological marketing, the analysis of certain challenges and overcoming it through different processes makes a huge impact on the industrial scale. Business strategies like developing a unique pattern in the industry manifest a new vision among the researchers, glorifying the purpose for the users and defining their experience. Today, we have with us an individual who perfectly balances all these factors. Anand Tambade, the Director of Experience Design Center at Amdocs, who has also been a TEDx speaker in the past. An individual who nurtures user experience design and industrial design for consumer goods and durables. He talks about his journey on how Practicing empathy has helped him provide insights regarding user behavior and preferences to build a seamless experience for the users, making it compatible for multiple channels. With his expertise in the field of design and technology on a journey of discovering design let's get into a talk with him on diversifying user experience welcome anand to avantika designering podcast series we thank you so much for joining us on our show today thanks rohit so anand to set uh, the tone we start with that march uh, brought us covid and suddenly overnight companies had to change their methods of working how can companies combat this unpredictability in future if we were to have something similar touch wood we hope we don't encounter but just in case how do we combat and do you think there can be a system
2: created to prime companies to adapt to such a situation one of the important lessons uh, learned in this situation is whatever leadership style you had yesterday needs to change quickly you need to reinforce the trust and confidence of your uh, employees as well as customers Most of the organizations have suddenly started looking inwards to see how their business is not getting impacted by the situation, how the employees would continue to work efficiently and their homes from their homes, etc. I feel it is equally important for organizations to look outwards. As they say, out of sight is out of mind. You need to stay connected with all stakeholders, have an increased engagement with the customers and their end users to understand their challenges and provide quick and relevant solutions, especially in this kind of situation. In order to achieve this, it is very important to have flexibility and agility to adopt to new ways of doing business and related processes. Also, capability to reimagine solutions within a short span of time is very crucial. It's like an army which is always ready to confront any eventuality. Organizations should be prepared for such adverse situations in the future. This should be an evolutionary process, but it needs to seek insights from inside and outside the organization to make it robust. This is how I feel, you know, we would be able to combat any kind of future situations we might face. So, moving from COVID to your journey, uh, Ananth.
1: In fact, you graduated as an architect and then moved on to study at NID. Uh, you you started your professional journey from being a trainee at VIP and now the director, experienced designer, uh, uh, experienced designer at Amdocs. How meaningful this journey has been, and can you run us through the last two two and a half decades of your of your professional journey?
2: Yeah, this has been a very interesting journey and I would want to start by, uh, you know, explaining how John Meda defines uh, the design professions to two categories. One is the classical design and another one is computational design. I've been fortunate to learn and practice both. Early part of practicing classical design as an architect and industrial designer and also currently as a computational design profession, which is popularly known as UX design. The significant difference between these professions has been the time and cost of iterations. As an architect or an industrial designer, you have to do maximum iterations of your design in the formative stages, before a building is built or a mold for the product is getting created. Any changes beyond the design stage takes a lot of money and time. But in case of UX design, since the time required to change the code of the interface is small in terms of time and money, it is done frequently. I believe that each stage in the software development lifecycle should be diligently completed and ensure that every release is not half-baked product uh, whose success relies on the next release. Another important lesson I've learned is that as a designer, the most important job we need to do is to provide solutions to any problem. To do this successfully, one needs to start by asking the question why at all stages of design right from the design brief to the user research and usability testing. Unless you have uncovered the real problem of the users or the business, your solutions will never be relevant or successful. This, all these learnings have been significant throughout the last two and a half decades for me. And I do continue to explore these domains uh, to their depths as well as to the width. And I believe that, you know, from the profession as an architect to the profession of a UX designer, I do impact uh, lives of people through my designs as well as the solutions we provide. As a UX designer, you get the capability to solve issues for millions of users as compared probably to an architect who would solve it for thousands of users. So this is quite a huge responsibility and which is I'm enjoying being for the last two decades. So, Anand, there's a a very interesting
1: question that comes and especially something that you've also been doing. You've been a TEDx speaker also. So, while our country is moving into a different phase in the pandemic, we see multitudes of speaker events and podcasts like ours as well. What is the future of speaker
2: events in the post-COVID world, according to you? I must say that the future is definitely bright as this is the best mode of sharing knowledge to the whole world. It started a decade back with TED Talks and the tremendous success of this concept has led to multiple platforms which allow people to connect and share ideas. I think the key to the success of future speaker events is the quality of content and production. Another important aspect to consider in online events is the possibility to allow interaction of the audience with the speakers. I see that you know people ask more questions online than in a face-to-face situation. This is a very important... Uh, aspect to gain insights and knowledge about a particular subject. One important indicator of effectiveness of consumption of content online is the trend of recording physical events and providing the audience of the same on the portals which are being created for these uh, uh, events, the physical events which happen uh, usually. Attending a conference or listening to a podcast is reading. It's like reading a book for the first time. But with a podcast, you get a chance to add this book to your library as it will always be available for future reference hence i say podcasts and similar online events are here for a long haul and we should maximize its benefits and uh, the the kind of uh, you know usage which is being done by people by offering multiple subjects and you know a spectrum of uh, topics which people would want to hear about and want to discuss about i'm sure this is going to continue and is going to increase a lot in the coming few years
1: Wow, that's, that's really an interesting take of how you look at podcasts and um, how you draw parallels with books. So that's interesting. Moving from, uh, you know, your journey to your workplace, which is, you know, at Amdocs, you have a 90 plus team members in the Amdocs Experience Design Center. And the beauty was that in the last two, two and a half months, uh, all of you kept following the processes uh and and you know managed your work even during the challenging pandemic times how do you manage to conduct user research from home
2: exactly so it's definitely been a challenging situation to start with but uh, i believe that tools are the key when we are working remotely across the globe for communication and conferencing we have leverage skype and zoom also, Microsoft Teams has helped us integrate multiple project activities in one application. Actually, we at Undocs use uh, user Zoom to conduct uh, remote surveys and usability tests. This is quite an effective tool when we would want to, you know, uh, conduct usability tests which are across geographies. Like sitting in India, you would want to do a usability test for a particular software which is being designed for uh, UK it is definitely possible to you know do that from your uh, you know the comfort of your home by recruiting people from that location and making sure that you know you get the test results as quickly as possible so yes online usability testing tools are definitely uh, of a huge importance and uh, usefulness on the other hand in the recent times we also used uh, miro which is an online whiteboarding tool it was effectively used for uh, conducting brainstorming and data gathering sessions Usually when you would do a research, it is very important to meet the customers and the end users face-to-face and gather their insights or gather the understanding of how uh, they use the current system, how they would want the new system to be. But in absence of this, uh, you know, uh, face-to-face interaction, uh, a whiteboarding tool helps you a lot because it allows each of the participants to express their ideas or brainstorm on their issues which they have or kind of rather than on the solutions which they feel would help them. We also use, uh, we have started using InVision's freehand for conducting similar sessions. It provides a similar capability like uh, uh, Miro. Uh, the key to effectively conduct user research remotely is to do meticulous planning, communicate accurately, and maximize the use of different tools to achieve the best results. Unless you have done all these three things, it is very difficult to achieve the best of the results. Of course one thing we do miss is you know the capability to observe the environment in which a user is you know conducting his daily tasks so this is something which we miss but otherwise we've been successfully been able to capture all the tasks which a user is doing all the pain points he or she would be facing in their usual day to day activities so it's been an interesting uh, journey but yes as i said tools have been very important and we have uh, leveraged them to the maximum to Ensure that we do the research in the most effective way. Yeah,
1: I'm sure in the last two months, I think all of us at our workplace we've discovered various tools, various forms of engagement uh, with all sorts of stakeholders. Whether it's been customers, whether it's been team members, employees, um, and I think uh, it's it's a it's an exciting uh, change, uh, you know, out there including the fact that now our kids uh, study online through iPads and um, tablets uh, while sitting at home.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a revolution. But you know, the way which we have been able to explore the possibilities, it's amazing. Having been such a big part in setting up the Experience Design Center, or uh,
1: as all of you call it, XDC at Amdocs, How was it to creating experiences in the last few years? Where do you see the field going in the next few years as well?
2: Experience design practice at Amdocs is now more than a decade old. In India, we started five years ago. The whole experience has been a great learning from various perspectives, right from recruiting the best talent from the industry to establish a mature UX design process and embedding it into the engineering practices of the organization, which is usually a challenge. One of the biggest milestones for the team has been establishment of the design thinking methodology by the top management in every design and development activity of the organization. So when there is a buy in at the top and a methodology like design thinking, if it is driven from top to down, it helps a lot to, you know, improve the institutionalization of design processes within the organization. In the past few years, the team has worked on multiple projects for clients across the world. This provides us a unique opportunity to gain significant insights on user behaviors and preferences across different geographies we have observed that these differences are not only attributed to strategic business decisions but also exist because of the socio-economic situation and cultural practices amdocs uh, being primarily a software company which creates uh, solutions for the telecom industry we've seen that the business practices as well as the user uh, usage patterns of these solutions differ a lot between geographies. If you see North America, which prefers uh, postpaid subscriptions for a telecom subscription, versus Asia Pacific regions preferring, you know, prepaid subscriptions, these differences are owed to the the socioeconomic situations of these regions. And understanding these uh, differences has been a big learning for us. As a team, we see businesses leveraging design to the maximum for B2C as well as B2B applications. Also, design will play a crucial role in the success of business strategies and will start by its participation and concept stage of such strategies. We're seeing that, you know, not only that design is being participating at the stage of uh, execution of a design you know a business strategy but we have been called to the table when the business strategy itself is being made so i see the future is really bright for uh, design teams where we have we don't have to fight to explain our uh, importance or explain the benefits of having a design team and the design process, but it's uh, already proven and people have already seen the benefits and it's much more than that now that we need to deliver in terms of our capabilities. Anand, while we are in a nascent stage of experience design in our country,
1: we are creating experiences along with pre-existing services. What do you think is the next step in commoditizing experiences?
2: See, today there is a wide awareness on quality of experiences being key to the success of a product or a service i do see ui design on the path to commodization for commonly used products like virtual payments or banking apps travel booking e-commerce etc but the experience design still will create a differential for the business as it will not only impact the ui of the interface or the interface part of the product or service, but the entire set of user journeys which together form an experience. I see uh, artificial intelligence, which is properly called as AI, playing an important role in realizing the roadmap of commoditization of UI design. You will have, uh, like the moment you have conceptualized wireframes, you can have the AI coming up with multiple variations of uh, visualization for the graphics of such wireframes. This uh, is already being seen in some tools where it's uh, easy to sketch a wireframe and then it converts it into a graphic design. So it's already on that path. Uh, I also see certain advantages in improving the intuitiveness of interfaces, which is fueled by commoditization. It adds in building unique mental models of users towards usage of UI patterns specific to certain products. Like you will see that how, uh, Payment application like PayTM has become so popular and so easy for people to use. People do not, uh, people have a very flat learning curve for such applications. So it started with PayTM, now we have Google Pay and many more such applications coming up. So, right from a person who is a novice user to an expert user, it's very easy for them to learn and start using these applications. It's just because they have got so used to these patterns. As an example, you will see that, you know, uh, people are also able to breeze through checkout processes of an e-commerce site. If it fits well with the well-established UI patterns, people know that, you know, what, what is the next step, which is going to be there when I'm checking out. Yeah, I'm supposed to enter the address, I'm supposed to, mean, you know, uh, pay my uh, the amount, and then I'm supposed to, you know, just uh, go ahead and, you know, uh, choose my uh, delivery uh, address and so on and so forth. On, on the increased speed of reordering your last order, like you know, you will see a lot of people uh, ordering food from online platforms like Zomato and uh, you know Swiggy. So the capability in this uh, in these designs to allow people to reorder. So these are I'll say uh, kind of design patterns which are getting commoditized, and this will continue as a trend. But as I said, the differential is going to be for you know the whole experience. So when it's experience, not just about the interface, it's all about the whole experience of not only. Uh, seeing what you are ordering or how your order is getting you know uh, delivered to you but it's actually getting the quality of the right food or you know getting the food on time so these are part of experiences which have to be you know considered by businesses to be delivered to the end users
1: so anand with the example that you uh, you know just mentioned right now about digital payments and, and the entire process one thing that comes to my mind is does over analyzing ever cause issues in creating experiences I mean, with so much excessive research that all of you do, does it confuse or deter the path towards the solution?
2: Okay, I'll actually start by saying that analysis is important, but synthesis is valuable. Hence, I believe that the intent of the research should be well defined and established well before you create the research plan. As I said earlier, the why has to be known very clearly. When you have a clear objective established for your research, the subsequent goals fall in place. This ensures that you are doing the right research and analysis in terms of quality and quantity. Of course, over-analyzing the obvious does not lead to great insights. Also, wrong interpretation of analysis is a huge risk. Here, I would like to give you an example of research we were doing for a large home appliances manufacturer in Shanghai. The research team was uh, experienced in conducting research for websites or applications, but a research for usability of home appliances was a first for most of them. The design of appliances being tested had a new flat design language being introduced in the whole range of refrigerators, microwaves, and washing machines. During the test, it was observed that the test participants failed to identify a position of the detergent tray, uh, which is used to you know add detergent uh, in the washing machine. But they all loved the new clean design, and once they were shown the how to operate the detergent tray, they found it very easy. The obvious analysis by the researchers was to point that the detergent tray design was faulty. But if you see the process of purchase and subsequent installation of a washing machine at home, the steps to use it are as well demonstrated by the salesperson or the technician. And identifying or learning where to find a detergent tray was a one-time information. As compared to the online world, where there are are no real people who would explain you or demonstrate to you how to use Uh, a particular screen or how to use a particular, uh, you know, uh, form, the severity of the issue of detergent tray was nullified with this insight. So you will see that, you know, sometimes when you're analyzing an issue, you would jump to a wrong conclusion saying that this is the issue. But if you will take a a wider uh, perspective on this issue, you will understand it's not actually an issue in a different context. So I'll again say that, you know, analysis has to be done in a, you know, in a very, uh, you know, uh, a way in which it will lead to a better synthesis, it will lead to allowing the business to take a better decision. So as you again, I'll say that, you know, it is very important that you do analysis, but over analyzing or doing a wrong analysis will lead to wrong synthesis. So never uh, go with uh, without uh, uh, right intent or never go with, you know, over analyzing a situation. So experience
1: design is not only a way to empathize with human emotions uh, and create for it, but it's also to change and create human behavior. Can you share any exciting examples, Anand, that come to your mind or a creative idea where... Such a change or creation of behavior has
2: taken place? So in this context, I remember a very relevant example from my previous organization. Uh, This project was about designing a new platform for online assessment of physical answer sheets. Usually, uh, you would, you know, have your exams for your 10th standard or your 12th standard being conducted by the boards. And the answer sheets are collected at a central location and then they are distributed to the teachers or professors for uh, assessments. Now, one, there were a lot of uh, important challenges in the design we, uh, you know, uh, we had to look at the expertise level of the users who were secondary school teachers and junior college professors. Not all of them have the experience of using computers, especially the ones who are in the age group of 50 plus. A change in the way handwritten answer sheets are evaluated was necessary to bring basically neutrality in the marking transparency in the process, improve the speed and efficiency, and also the accuracy of the marking which was happening. On the other hand, the benefits for the evaluators was zero risk of handling the answer sheets, ease of calculating totals, avoiding errors in the marking, or you know, increased income due to increased efficiency also. So our design which followed the user-centered design methodology Uh, Ensure that the design satisfied all these requirements and brought in a big change in the legacy method of evaluation exams uh, evaluation of exams for students in india some teachers who had never used a computer in their lifetime were able to use this application easily in a matter of hours one of the key elements in the success of this design was to ensure a match for the user between the real world and the digital interface we were able to do this through a continuous evaluation of our designs by conducting usability tests in every phase of our designs the feedback which we got from the users was taken uh, to improve the designs and this allowed us to bring in a big change that from evaluating physical answer sheets the teachers are now able to evaluate these answer sheets through an online interface it not only improved the efficiency at the user level but also improved the efficiency of the whole process the amount of time which was being taken to you know complete the assessments reduced drastically and it brought in benefits for the students also because even you know if you had to you know submit a reassessment request it was done in a very short span of time it could they could also provide easy information about for which questions or what kind of marks the student had got so these are things which were like you know uh, big benefits for every stakeholder in the whole system so i see that you know a design can bring many changes to various stakeholders which will benefit uh, to change the whole system
1: that's so relevant example uh, to my ecosystem and what we keep doing at Avantika uh, university and uh, it's interesting to hear uh, the entire perspective from that you know i would i would like to take another uh, example from you i've heard this term uh, hyper intuitive user experience design which builds human connections with its target audience can you can you tell us something about it and an
2: example uh, connected with this Actually, it's funny. I feel there is no design which can be called hyper-intuitive. I believe a design is either intuitive or non-intuitive. Again, but uh, there is a noticeable difference in the way we are used to interfaces or affordances of common objects we see around us. You know, you see uh, the design of a hammer, a pencil or door handle or a chair. It's super easy to understand and and it effectively takes into consideration the product semantics which is necessarily the understanding of symbolic quality of man-made forms in the context of their usage and application. Also, you will notice that the number of functions supported by these objects are minimal. Most of the digital products we design today are loaded with features and functionalities. I believe the higher the number of functions, the lower is its usability. My favorite example of intuitive interface is Netflix. This product comes with minimal functions and delivers a consistent and qualitative experience to the end users. The high focus on user of the service is seen in the statement by the CEO, Reed Hastings. He says that what is the biggest competitor for Netflix? He says it is sleep. So you understand that, you know, the they have a very sharp focus on what the user needs are. And accordingly, you know, deliver only for those user needs. We face a big challenge of feature creep in most of the products which are being designed and developed. There are features which are getting added month over month, if we try to analyze that, why a feature is needed first, rather than, you know, designing how this feature is going to be, it will allow us to make the products better than, you know, just, you know, making more and more features on those products. So I feel that the intuitivity, again, I'll say is totally depend on the number of functionalities and features you have versus what the number of functional features are actually needed.
1: So Anant with technologies becoming more and more uh, pervasive, Purposefully designing our every experience is becoming increasingly very common. So to which extent does our culture impact our design practices? That's yeah, a very interesting question.
2: See, we are culturally conditioned to think of uh, others' needs and not just our own. This is especially uh, you know important in the context of Indians. We are brought up in a culture where we are attuned to the needs of others be it family, community, or group of friends. I think that inherent attitude contributes to making an empathetic designer, enabling user-centered design thinking. An excellent example is how we plan the food menu for a marriage. If there is a marriage in the family, there is a considerable uh, planning which goes into what kind of menu is going to be served in uh, the marriage. So we have consideration for different groups of people who will be attending this marriage. In case there are people who might be observing a fast on that day, a separate set of dishes would be cooked for them. This is the most important capability as a UX designer, you know, which is important to understand. You know, uh, what are the uh, needs of other people? What you know? How do you empathize with their needs and make sure that you know it is uh, you know catered to through your design.
1: Another interesting aspect while we are talking about technology is the multi-platform integration, which is a trending buzzword in the industry. Voice user interface, a tactile interface, and many more such examples are forming intuitive user experience design, especially how they are embedded in the product functionality. How can a company ensure a
2: seamless experience between all these interfaces, Anand? Multiple platforms or channels are intended to provide a seamless experience to the users. The key to providing a great experience in just such a scenario is the ability to provide an uninterrupted journey for the user to complete a task while using multiple channels. Uh, imagine for an example that you would want to purchase a postpaid plan. Now, you would want to you know, uh, buy a new plan for yourself. You would go to probably the... Uh, you'll do a Google search. You'll find you know, which are the telecom uh, companies which are offering these different subscriptions. You would choose one of them. You would probably filter down to a particular plan which you feel is you know very good for you and then you might not you know continue your journey of you know completing the whole process so the next day you go and you know uh, go to the retail store of this organization and there you tell them that you know you had seen some interesting plan if you would have uh, you know searched for this plan you can actually start your journey from where you left from the online portal because the online portal would have captured your email ID, and with that reference, the retail executive will be able to find out what was the plan you had searched for and where were you in the last step of this particular process. From there, you can continue onwards from there. Where you can even probably, if you you know, discontinue this process where it's about you know deciding how would you want to pay for this, whether you want to pay in cash or you want to pay by card. And then later on, you go home and you again call the call center of this organization and you tell them that, you know, I had chosen a plan, I had gone to the retail store, but I configured it to my needs, but I would want to now complete the purchase. You can continue that journey from the call center itself. This is an experience which has to be delivered to the end user. Uh, we at Amdocs, we make sure that this seamless experience is given through an omni-channel solution. So where the same database is available for all these three channels and which ensures that a user doesn't have to you know, go through the same process again and again, even if he's approaching a different channel. You know, organizations must ensure these uh, expectations of uh, the users are, uh, you know, uh, completed uh, with, uh, consistently and they are barrier free. A key to keep these experiences seamless is to avoid the design and development of each of them in silos. Large organizations today are plagued with the habit of working in silos. Design can be the best integrator in such situations by providing a concrete roadmap for design and delivery of experiences to the end users. Hence, I also see a changing role of UX design in organizations. For just providing designs, from just providing designs, for new features to designing the roadmap of the product's features. They are starting to play a crucial role in the product management domain. So I see that, you know, we are influencing uh, not only uh, contributing, but we're also influencing the whole process of providing these experiences across uh, different channels. You know,
1: Anand, there are times when, while you were giving that example, uh, what immediately flashed to my mind are these uh, tech, uh, you know, sci-fi tech films, Hollywood films, where all, all of those processes are, uh, you know, running so seamlessly. So it's, it's very exciting to hear some of these things. So while we talk about technology, uh, Anand at Avantika, we designed a term called as designering. So it's, it's, it's a combination of design plus engineering, providing a user experience of blended approach in design and engineering. Do you think this is a relevant? thing that we are doing?
2: Of course. This is a very relevant thing. Uh, I will again uh, quote uh, Alvin Toffler from his book Future Shock. Uh, he says that technology in the 21st century will be a given. So we need great ideas to solve problems. The how part of realizing these ideas will be managed by technology very easily. engineering provides a very unique opportunity to humanize the technology and make it accessible and usable. Uh, the Way you will see Maslow's hierarchy of human needs grows from physiological to self-actualization, I feel the correct combination of engineering design will change products from being functional to pleasurable. So in order to make this connect from functional to pleasurable, design hearing will play a big role.
1: You know, Anant, usually uh, we are towards the end of the show while asking uh, the design question, but your answer, especially talking about the Maslow's need hierarchy theory, Brings me to another interesting question that I want to ask. So from your journey of UX technology, I I wish to get into philosophy. Can design principles be applied to the way you live your life? Can we blend learning,
2: leaning and living to build resilience in this disrupted world? Design principles teach us a very important quality in human nature, which is empathy for others. It gives us a capability to live a, not live a self-centered life, but a life which is inclusive. Another important quality which a designer develops while learning the design process is to make sense of complex situations and find solutions. It is unique capability to connect with the dots and bring sense to the disorder. Today's world is full of conflicts between individuals or groups or communities or regions or even nations. The major design the major reason which I see behind these conflicts is the absence of a dialogue, a consistent communication. I believe we as designers can ideate solutions which will allow people to communicate better. We can create opportunities to connect them frequently. We have a huge opportunity to make things better for sure.
1: Now this brings us to our last surprise segment, which we call as Gyan Segment. It's a quickie takeaway segment where we will ask you a few questions and would like to hear your top of the mind responses so are you ready for this anant i believe i hope so <laughs> great so my first question to you anant is dark theme or bright ones which one is your favorite and why
2: Bright ones because uh, they show what i'm expecting to see okay <laughs>
1: and share a personal experience that you cherish for life any personal experience?
2: So this has been, uh, you know, something which uh, I had gone through during my, uh, you know, final year of my architectural uh, studies. And uh, I had to get in touch with uh, one of my professors who was a practicing architect in uh, the town where I was studying. So this, he used to, you know, work uh, in my city for, uh, you know, the five days and the two days he used to be rather uh, Half of the week he used to be in Bombay and half of the week he used to be in Masik used to study. For me to take him as my guide for my final year thesis, I had to, you know, meet him. But I couldn't meet him. And there was a deadline from the college to, you know, submit uh, the the name of the, my, you know, uh, guide who would be guiding me through the thesis. And uh, since I had almost reached that deadline, I didn't know what to do so i couldn't get in touch with him of course this was not the era of uh, the mobile phones you had to you know only way was to connect through landline i was not able to connect to him through landline also what i did is i wrote down my uh, you know uh, you know my proposal of my thesis on uh, a paper and uh, posted it to him he usually considers only three candidates uh, for a particular year to you know guide them was quite a. I mean, he's been a great mentor for me throughout my life. But uh, I was really, you know, looking forward for him to be my guide. And he had already selected three of them. I was going to be the fourth one, and which was not going to be possible because he never had taken more than three people. A week later, I got a call from him, and he had asked me to come and meet him in the office. He said, uh, "Anand, uh, you did something very interesting. I usually don't take more than three people, but the fact that you wrote down your proposal on a paper." and posted it to me it actually made me read through it otherwise if it would have been probably a request which would have come on a phone where you would have tried to explain me verbally i would have not probably been able to pay the attention to what you exactly wanted to do in your thesis but the fact that you took this effort of writing it down made me read through it and then i realized that it's quite an interesting topic which you're dealing with and that's the reason this year i'm going to take an exception of you know accepting you as one of my students to guide you in your thesis so this is very, uh, it was like a great experience for me that if you want to do something and if you try all ways of doing it, somewhere you will definitely get success. Wow, well, that's, that's really exciting. So moving from that to the next one,
1: what do you prefer, speaking at sessions or being a jury member for design events? Because we see you doing both of them. Which one do you enjoy the most?
2: It's a difficult choice, but I prefer speaking at events because it also gives you an opportunity to interact with many people.
1: Okay. And experience, uh, you know, we we would like you to share an experience that you have still not experienced, but you would like to experience. (laughs) Skydiving. Okay. Okay. So industrial design or user experience design, which is closer to your heart?
2: I. It's a difficult question, but if uh, forced to make a choice, I'll go with user experience. Okay. And the last one, which has three questions
1: in it, a book, a movie, and a speech that you would recommend each of our listeners to experience. So let's start with the book.
2: Book, I would go with... Uh yuval noah harari's uh, homo deus oh that's an that's an exciting book okay second movie movie uh, i would go for a, i would say it's it's a very uh, difficult choice but uh, the one which has stayed with me for a long time is saving private ran Tom Hanks. beautiful film again and last one a speech a speech uh, which has been uh, very important. I don't know exactly the title of it, but it was done by our, our president uh, Abdul Kalam. So where he had explained, you know, how uh, we can contribute uh, to the nation. So I don't remember it, but uh, I, mean, I don't remember the title of it, but where he explains that, you know, as each person who is citizen of this country how do we you know play a very crucial role in the progress of this country and development of this country so most of these speeches have been really uh, great and here this particular one which uh, was about contribution of an individual to the country's uh, development was uh, stays with me for a long time excellent thank you so
1: much Anand uh, for doing this uh, it was it was extremely insightful hosting you and avantika design series uh i'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy this show i had a good time recording this with you so thank you so much for doing this
2: thank you so much rohit
0: hey there we hope you enjoyed our show do write to us on ads at the rate We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.